am, you know, was totally, totally upended, totally upended. And here, here I, re- I remember, thinking back, I remember there were four kind of distinct things that I started to feel. Number one, I was, I was angry. Um, I was angry at um, this person that had done this evil thing in our community. I was angry at, at this person. I was angry at w- what he had done. I, had, I was angry that he did it in our community. Um, you know, the second thing I was frustrated by, here, here was this one evil act that had happened in my whole life, my whole life, had, had suddenly become upended. We had to move out. In fact, many people in that community, many friends, literally within months of that, that event happening, had moved out of the neighborhood. And what was this kind of idyllic little paradise that I had grown up with? It's, it's suddenly, you know, just become a distant memory. So I was frustrated by that. I was, I was frustrated that the police didn't catch this person sooner. You know, my father was one of the people that testified and, and had talked about what helped the police actually catch this man because this man used to sit in the parking lot. My dad used to go to work uh, in the middle of the night. He was a baker. And he would walk down the, the three-story walk-up that we uh, lived in, and there was a, a rear large window going down the stairs that you could see in the parking lot. And he would see this man sitting in a car, and he was watching this woman at the window and was frustrated that the police didn't catch this man sooner. You know, so I was angry that this had happened, frustrated that it upended my entire life. The other thing it did is that it it made me suspicious of of all kinds of people, suspicious of the motives of of people in, in ways that I was surprised at, like things that I never would have thought in the, in the past were, were things that maybe people wanted, you, you know, and I, I just became overly suspicious of people. And the fourth thing I became was cautious of situations and circumstances all around me. It was, it was such an upheaval in my life that it was um, a major act of disruption. And I remember, you know, when we moved into the new place, all of these things stayed with me. And it just wasn't the same anymore. It was a little bit, I felt a little bit like Adam and Eve. Growing up in a paradise, this big event happens, and suddenly the paradise that you knew no longer existed. Now, in the, in, in the, in the course of a pandemic, for many of us, we, we all feel those same emotions. We, we're probably angry at, at what it's done to our routines, angry at what it's done to our lives, angry at, at where did this come from, you know, and, and we're probably frustrated too. It's, 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 it's done something to the normal course of our lives that we never would have expected. We've lost control in ways that we've never expected. We become suspicious, you know, we're suspicious of how did this happen with this manufacturer, this is man-made, is this some kind of a political thing, is this, you know, all kinds of, uh, we're reading all kinds of things, you know, and we're cautious. How many of us now walking into a room full of people suddenly feel uneasy, where before that was such a natural thing to do? We walk into a room of people and we look around, we see you know, we start assessing, is this safe for me to go in, even into this room, right? And like, like I said, a few mere months ago, we would have never, ever been cautious or even suspicious to that degree. Because this is the truth. Major disruptions create in us a sense of loss. 
Something, something's gone. Something is lost forever. And it's not like you can easily go back to have things just the way they were. The, the loss is incredibly um, profound. And I remember, um, you know, when I had that major disruption in my life, an early, early part of my life, I remember the deep sense of loss. You know, there's times, I, I admit, there's times, you know, I, I'll still drive through that neighborhood and reminisce about what a, what a you know, wonderful place that it was when I was growing up. Because those memories are still there. But even to this day, so many years later, I feel this deep sense of loss of what could have been and was ruined by, by some. And, 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 and many of you are probably sensing that, that there's a deep sense of loss, that things aren't normal, things aren't the same. They're definitely um, a, an upheaval in our lives with this disruption. And we may be feeling all of those things, angry, frustrated, suspicious, and even cautious to a large degree. But here's the thing about the pandemic, and um, which I think just compounds this whole thing much more, but because the pandemic is a major disruption. Can we just, can we just agree to that, that it's a major disruption? Um, we may disagree on the how, the why, the where, and the who, but the what is pretty clear. So what is pretty clear? This is, this is the pandemic. There's all kinds of arguments about you know, where it came from, how do we manage this, you know, why did it come in the first place? All the, the, that, in many ways, that adds so much confusion to what is happening. The reality is it's, it, it's here. It's real. There hasn't been a credible medical official that has, has stated that this is not a credible threat. Okay? We may disagree with the amount of infections or who it infects or all of those kinds of things. We may disagree on all of that, but the reality is it's here. The reality is it's that it's something that has potential, and it's, it's something we have to consider. So as a potential threat, no one is disagreeing that it exists. It's all the other questions that surround it where we get into a lot of confusion and a lot of, you know, a lot of argumentation. Like I'm just, as I've said, I've yet to read any uh, credible medical official who has discounted the fact that whatever preventative measures we're presently taking are the best preventative measures in order to stop the spread of this thing that everybody acknowledges is real. So, you know, here we are in this, in this pandemic. Now, why is this important, or why do we even have to talk about it during this time? And, and what I'm really encouraged by is even in a moment like this, the Bible has a lot to say. There's a lot of things that, that God has given us through his word about times of, of disruption in our lives. Because disruption in our lives you know, forces us to question so many things that are around us. And for many people, it, you know, it brings into question the whole purpose and the whole actions of God, you know, that, that, that it raises so much um, anxiety inside of us and fear inside of us and, or questions inside of us, inside of us about, you know, why is this happening? What's God's involvement in, in all of this? So I want to take us to a particular section of scripture today. In the midst of a disruption, a huge disruption for the nation of Israel, we're going to go back into the Old Testament. 
And some of the things that God teaches the nation in the midst of an incredible disruption where, where their whole lives were un- upended. This was a period where, you know, the, the nation of Israel was living in the land that God had promised them. They were prospering as a nation in the sense of, you know, the social and economical, you know, benefits that they were experiencing. But the fact of the matter is that um, they ended up in exile. They were actually tested God, and God, as, as a, a, a form of judgment, sent them into exile. The Assyrians first took them, and then the Babylonians took them. And here is a nation that absolutely was, you know, people that were formed and a nation under God now had been torn away from the land that God had given them and now ended up in a foreign land. And even some of them, you know, we have, you know, a picture of Daniel early on in, in the book of Daniel, where he was given a totally different name. He was a young man. He was probably not even 16 years old yet. Yet, If we, if we look at the records and we look at the way it, it, it describes him as a young man, and he had lost everything, torn out of, out of the land that he had grown up in, and wasn't even allowed to use his own name in the nation that now kept him as a captive. There's you know, stories, so many things that we can understand about that period of time. But here's a nation that was absolutely taken away from its homeland and, and, and driven into exile, which was a huge disruption for that nation. And here's the, here's the thing that when we talk about disruption, disruption brings a sense of loss to us. Here are the things that the nation of Israel lost right away. Number one was access, okay? They lost access. Here, here is um, the people who lost access to the temple. They, they lost their ability to get up you know, each and every day, go into the temple and worship their God. You know, it was no no longer available to them. In fact, the sacrifices were no longer available to them. All of that was taken away. And and it gave them a sense of emptiness that they are now disconnected from their own God. Access was was totally gone. The proximity to the temple was totally gone. And if you know anything about the Jewish people, temple and Torah were the two pillars that the entire nation was built upon. So they lost access to that. The obvious thing, the other thing they lost was freedom. You know, they, they were no longer their own people. They're no, own, no longer identified as a nation, you know, under God. They were now captives in a foreign land. Whatever, whatever freedoms they had living on their own with their own government, all of that was now totally lost. It was their freedom. They were now captives in a foreign land. The third thing they lost was certainty. There's something about when you lose access, when you lose freedom, when, when a pandemic comes, when a major disruption comes in, in, into your life, you, you lose a sense of certainty. For, for the Jewish people, you know, we, are, we are the people of God. God, God is supposed to protect us. We, you know, as the nation under God, we were certain of the goodness of God and the power of God. But here we are in a foreign land. Why didn't God protect us? Why didn't God take care of us? And the whole sense of certainty about who you are right now and the uncertainty of the future just becomes, you know, incredibly uh, more profound than ever. 
And here, here's what happens when we lose access and we lose freedom and we lose a sense of certainty. What it says, access for one, is God is no longer available. For, for some of us, you know, because, because churches have, have kind of closed, for instance, or, or have, have no longer been able to meet physically, how many of us have wondered if we even have access to God anymore? That God is unavailable. That's one of the things that, that I've heard people in, in the last little while sort of talk about. If we can't gather as a church, is God really available? Is God even accessible anymore? Now, many of you know instinctively, theologically, that that's not necessarily true. But the fact of the matter is you can gather together, you've lost access of some kind. Okay? Freedoms, you know? Secondly, is God even in control? If we've lost our freedom, is God even in control? Does God even know what's going on? Is this, is this, is this a, one of those moments where God's you know, control of everything has slipped? That would have been one of the things that would have been in the minds of the Israelite people at the time. And in terms of certainty, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. God, if God cared, we wouldn't be in this situation. You know, I've heard many people say, you know, is, is God even a loving God to have allowed this to, to come into the world, right? That would have been the third thing on the PowerPoint that, you know, you would see this whole thing of certainty. Is God even caring about our situation or our circumstance? And that's what happens when we experience a deep sense of loss, a deep sense of disruption in our lives. You know, there are times where we feel like we've lost access or we've lost our freedom or we've lost the certainty of what, what was before. And when people talk about, I want to get back to normal, this is often what they're pointing towards. They have lost a sense of this. They're questioning these kinds of, you know, uh, questions in their minds. And it certainly, at this particular point in time, would have been very heavy on the hearts and the minds of the Jewish people. Now, in Isaiah 40, Isaiah comes along, and he's talked all along for the first 39 chapters about, you know, the potential of the judgment that's going to come to the Israelite people because of their testing God, and God had to discipline but in chapter 40, he begins to tell the Jewish people that there's a turnaround coming, that there's a moment coming. And he answers a number, a number of these questions that we have just posted up here on Isaiah 40. And he begins this chapter, he begins this section of his book with the, the, you know, an opening verse that I think is really powerful. He's, it, it starts out with, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Now, that's a great way to open up this chapter where Isaiah is now going to pour through the Spirit of God, through his heart and soul, truths that he's going to communicate to the people of God who may have been questioning all of those questions that we, all those things that we had posted on the previous PowerPoint about what it meant, you know, that God is available, that God is all-powerful, and God does care, even though the circumstances and the situation that we're experiencing right now may make you tend to think that God doesn't, or God isn't, or God wasn't, you know, all of those things that would 
cause us to come and question God. This is, a, this is a time of incredible disruption for the Israelite people. They had all the security of being the people of God. They had all the security and the access to the temple, to the holy of holies, to the sacrificial system. All of that gets, gets wiped away. And yet, here in this chapter, Isaiah begins to unfold the beautiful truth of who God is, who they are, and reminds them. You know, we talk about resetting ourselves. If you're a believer here this morning, you go through a major disruption in your life. The honest factor is you start questioning the goodness of God. You start questioning the the character of God. You start questioning the, the powerful nature of God. And sometimes, you know, as a believer, we need to be reminded of who God is, that God is in the midst of the difficulties, and we need to be reset in the way that we are thinking. If you're not a believer, if you're you know, watching this or here this morning, and, and you're not you know, fully convinced that, that you know, God is the answer in your life, and you're questioning these things, this passage you know, beautifully reiterates the truths that most believers know, that God is powerful, that God is available, that God does care, even though sometimes the circumstances may look like he's not or he doesn't. So here, here we have Isaiah resetting the, you know, the, the mindset of the people and reminding them of some beautiful truths. Here we are. Um, throughout this chapter, I'm going to take bits and pieces out of this chapter where, where Isaiah is answering these kinds of stressful questions that the Jewish people are likely asking. And, and you know, Isaiah is saying, God is available. Here's, here's what he writes in verses 21 and onward. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave to, you know, before the world began. So you have the very word of God with you, within you. Like, you know, you've experienced God all your life. Why do you suddenly feel like he's checked out? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below him seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He's there. He's, he's, he's above this all and watching above all. The next you know, passage out of verse 9, he says, Oh, Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Your God is here. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. As the people are experiencing the exile and experiencing kind of, you know, having been torn out of their land, it's like God is with you. God is available. He is right there. And he is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. Despite how you feel about the circumstances, God hasn't checked out of the situation and so, you know, and so many of us feel like whatever we're experiencing here and now, that God is not available, that we have lost access to God. And, you know, that was, that was one of the most disturbing things to me. And, and, and it, it's like when, when the pandemic hit and we were told that we couldn't gather together, I, I think some people really lost a sense who, the, who, who God is. And it lost a sense that we could have access to God all the time, every day, 
no matter the time or the, or the hour. And it wasn't necessarily just an hour on Sunday where the connection to God happens. Yes, the church is important. The gathering together of the saints is very important. But it's almost like we lost a sense of what the church was meant to be, always meant to be. That just because we lost that hour because of a pandemic, not because for any other reasons, let's be clear about that, that suddenly we had lost access to God, that suddenly we were no longer a church, or suddenly we weren't any longer the people of God. That was really disturbing. And, and please, don't, don't read into it that I don't think the church is important. Of course the church is important. But God was always available to us. Our worship together is always available to us. Our worship of God is always available to us. No matter where, no matter how, all of those things. Okay? And... Then Isaiah, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the availability of God thing. In, in, in the very same chapter, he says, I'm now going to deal with, you know, God is in control. God is in control. This is what he writes, verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth and has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of just, justice? Who else? You know, Isaiah gives this beautiful picture of the uniqueness of God. There's none, none like him. You know, the next he keeps writing the next passage. He says, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling you each by its name. Imagine that God, you know, we look into the night sky. Imagine that God has every one of those stars, stars has given them a name. Oh, I know that one. That one is so-and-so. That one's so-and-so. You know, that one's actually John. That one's, you know, Wendy. That one's Dawn. That one's Sylvia's. That one's Brian's. That one's Matthew's. Imagine that he knows everyone by name. And he's called them. And he knows them. Calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. God takes inventory at the end of every day, and he knows who's all there and who's not. It's amazing. Is God in control? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to the question of, you know, the third question that we're talking about, you know, does God even care? Does God even care? This is what Isaiah says about the caring nature of God. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. And then another passage that he writes is, O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Notice in that, that, that is very profound. How, can you, how dare you say that God doesn't even see what you're going through? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard, have you never understood 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and earth, of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. God is tireless. God is ever-present. God is ever-there. And Isaiah had to write this beautiful chapter. He could have very well written the chapter and just said, wait, you know, a better day is coming. And you just need to kind of, you know, buckle in and get ready. But a better day is coming. But he's had to remind them about some, you know, critical and key aspects of God's character and nature that as a people of God, they needed to be reminded, they needed to be reset in the way they understood things and reset in the way that they understood the circumstances that they were experiencing. But I love the way that Isaiah ends this entire, entire thing. Here's, here's the passage that he ends this entire chapter with. He says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Listen, this entire chapter, if you go home this week and you read chapter 40 and just remind yourself of the things that you feel that you have lost during this pandemic, Isaiah is going to remind you about some incredibly beautiful truths. But this whole chapter hinges on this one phrase, but those who trust in the Lord, or for those who hope in the Lord. Notice it'll say, we'll find, we'll get, you know, we'll fly, we'll run, we'll not grow weary, those kinds of things, you know? Listen, this, this is such an important thing to understand, but those who trust in the Lord. And Isaiah is saying this as the nation of Israel is languishing in exile, feeling absolutely a sense of disruption, feeling absolutely a sense of loss to all the normalcy that they had experienced before this exile. And he says, but those who trust in the Lord. Now, I don't know. I, can, I, you know, I was desperately trying to figure out how to give you a really good explanation of trusting in God. And, and I came up with, here are some of the things that will tell you you're not trusting in God. Here are some of the opposite things. That, that when we decide to do things on our own, when we decide that, we're, that God's not part of the picture anymore, here's some of the things that we start saying to ourselves as part of our dialogue. You know, we start saying, I am what I'm going through. Okay, This is going to be... Me. This is what identifies me. I'm going through this difficulty. I'm going through this circumstances. It's because it's who I am. And we, and we lose a sense of who our, what our identity is or where I, our identity is. If you're a Christian here this morning, your identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the circumstances. It's not in the situation. It's not through a pandemic that you're going through. That You are a child of God. That that's your identity. And, and to be honest with you, if you're a child of God this morning, you are a pilgrim, an alien in this world. What happens in this world happens in this world because of it, because of the fallenness and the messiness of brokenness of this world. But if you're a child of God here this morning, you don't belong here anyway. You're just passing through. So the circumstances that you're experiencing are not circumstances that, you know, identify you. 
You experience this, okay? Or we say, I hope I can fix this, right? You know, how, how can we as human beings, you know, like, how are we going to fix this, okay? And we try to fix everything on our own, and we can only go so far. If it's not this pandemic, it's going to be something else. It's going to be another tragedy. It's going to be another thing. It's going to be another thing. Another thing. We do our best to manage the messiness of life. But the reality is, if we think we're always going to fix it, that's, that's, that's a recipe for continually being discouraged, continually dis- being disappointed, continually pouring your energy into something and always being defeated. Not saying that we just give up, lie down. Don't, don't get me. But there's something about having a trust in God in the midst of the difficulties that allows us to get through it as we try to fix it and trust God for the outcome. Okay? Or the future is so uncertain. One of the things that's really disconcerting is the way the uncertainty is just built up all around people. Yeah, we're not prophets, we're not, you know, but the fact of the matter is God has the future, you know, beautifully in his own hands. And to trust God with the outcome is not always easy, but it's where we need to be, is to trust God with the outcome. The last thing, it's everyone for themselves. How many of us have, have, have been distressed at, at just how much the world has seen? It's all, all about how, what I can get out of it or how I can survive out of this. Where if we trust God, there's just something about being settled in the moment, even though it may be difficult, and trusting God for that particular outcome, okay? Here's trusting God is recognizing his presence and is working despite the circumstances that surround us. It's, 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 it's recognizing that God is actively involved. What happens when we lose, we, in fact, you know, when, when we feel an, exp, an experience of loss in our lives, we feel like we've lost God too. And that's what happens in the midst of a disruption, and, and, and we forget that God is ever-present in that disruption with us and walking us through it. Here is, here is um, something that I, I, I want, another thing about trusting God. Trusting God is not testing God, okay? Here's a really difficult thing um, that we need to kind of walk through for just a couple of minutes this morning. Right? Often when people say, you know, I want to trust God, it, it can be a moment where they're actually testing God, and they're not really trusting God. Um, you know, and we have to be very, very careful here, especially during time of pandemic. I've run into so many Christians who have said, you know, as a pastor, one of the things that raises a red flag for me right away is, is when people come to me and say, um, I think I'm going to be okay. In fact, I know I'm going to be okay. Because God's going to protect me. And meanwhile, you know, without um, unpacking that too further, meanwhile, I, I know that there's clear biblical examples that whatever the person's doing isn't really being um, obedient to God. They're doing something that's really kind of a gray area. And what they're actually doing is testing God in the midst of saying that they're trusting God. Okay, here's, here's an example. Many of you um, have, you know... Remember the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, okay? After his baptism, Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted to the devil. And there's three temptations that the devil gave to Jesus. So one of the temptations is that the devil, you know, takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. 
and says, says to Jesus, okay, so if you're the son of God, I want you to throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. And the scriptures actually say that God will send his angels to protect you, not if not anything will be um, you know, harmed of, of you. And he'll hold you, he'll hold you up with his hands. And you won't even hurt your foot on even a stone. That's how much God's going to protect you. You know what's interesting? You know, Jesus being the incarnate son of God, Jesus being the person that could have easily, easily, you know, thrown himself off the pinnacle of the temple. That indeed God could have caught him. And in fact, Jesus could have, you know, with his own deity, you know, preserved himself from ever getting hurt. It wasn't necessarily untrue what Satan said. It wasn't necessarily untrue. It was distorted. It wasn't necessarily untrue. But Jesus answers him, don't you know what the scriptures say? Do not test the Lord your God. Even Jesus, with his mighty power and deity, refused to test God, even though he could have easily done what the devil said. Well, that's a, you know, a very hard thing to distinguish sometimes. But let me ask you, are you testing God or trusting God? today. Trusting God is trusting God in the circumstances and the situation you find yourself in, even though it does not always end in your favor. That's trusting God. I don't know if you need a reset in your life, and I don't know if you've struggled with any of these questions. But when major disruptions come in our lives, what the scriptures do is point us constantly back to trusting God, that we always have access to God. We're always free in Him. And God is in charge of the future and everything that is uncertain to us, but only certain to Him. That's a reset. That Isaiah, this amazing prophet of God, needed to remind the people that God's always there, God is always powerful, and God is always caring, regardless of what we feel is happening at the time. You know, I'd like to close in prayer, but if this has been helpful to you at all, or you know someone that this would be helpful, why not share it with someone and and pass it on and give them an opportunity to experience moments in the Bible where God talks about great disruptions and what it teaches us in the middle of this as well. I hope you've been blessed by the message today, and I'd like to pray for you if I could. Father in heaven, thank you for this moment in the history of the Jewish people where they experienced an incredible disruption in their life. And yet, the one unchanging thing in their experience, even though it was horrific, was that God was there. And nothing about his character, nothing about his nature changed in the midst. And the people 
based on what they were experiencing, had forgotten some clear truths about God. And Isaiah, in this beautiful passage in Isaiah 40, began to reset them to what they needed to be reminded of. So Lord, we thank you for that message this morning. At a time when many of us are experiencing a disruption. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you will join us for part two next week. Great is the faith.
the peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand to sing. Great is, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I Father God in heaven, thank you that you have promised to us your presence. Thank you for the pardon of sin. Thank you for the bright hope that we have in tomorrow. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.